Do you open your Bible, please, to 1 Peter chapter 5? Title of today's message, The Remedy for Anxiety. Um, I'm going to give you just a, a few seconds to get to 1 Peter 5 in your Bible. Uh, when you get there, just look up here and uh, we'll read the passage through together. 1 Peter chapter 5. All right, follow along in your copy of God's Word as I begin reading in the middle of verse 5. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. If you will do what the Bible says in those verses, it will change your life. It will change your life. If you look hard enough, uh, you will see that there's a fundamental difference between the way that the world handles anxiety and the way that the Bible teaches followers of Jesus to handle anxiety. And perhaps you think that's uh, a little bit of an understatement. Maybe it's stating the obvious, but it's true nonetheless. Just look around. Our culture has turned anxiety into big business with everything from anxiety apps on our devices to magnetic bracelets to weighted blankets made of glass beads to essential oils to the medicinal use of marijuana, not to mention the growing number of medications that are being prescribed every single day. And then you throw into that the social media factor. A growing number of professionals are suggesting that the rising levels of anxiety are proportional to the rising influence of social media within our lives. In fact, in one study done in the United States, and I think the results are somewhat similar to what we experience here in Canada, researchers concluded that adolescents who spend more time on electronic communication and screens were less happy, less satisfied with their lives, had lower self-esteem, and were more socially isolated and prone to anxiety and depression. When asked for the solution to these ever-rising levels of anxiety, here's what the professionals suggested, and I quote, We have to monitor our screen time and make sure that it does not exceed our face-to-face -face time. We're looking for a simple answer, they said, and there really isn't a simple answer, end quote. Now, that suggestion can be a useful piece to the puzzle. But quite frankly, I'm not sure how you read that and not be more anxious after you read it than you were before you read it. I want to suggest to you this morning that there is actually a very simple answer to handling our anxiety. And the thing is that many people who have dealt with overwhelming anxiety or panic attacks or worry or depression or any other uh, related emotions would tell you that the answers don't seem very simple in the moment. But the reality is that when you're in the moment and it feels overwhelming, you need something simple. When you're trying to navigate your way out of anxiety, you don't need a complicated roadmap with a bunch of directions that you don't understand. What you need is a map with a giant button on it that says, start here. That's 1 Peter 5. 
And I don't think I'm exaggerating at all when I say to you that if you will do what God says in these verses to do, it'll change your life. This is the final message in this series called Anxiety Attack. And so as we bring things together today, I want to draw your attention to these cards that you saw on your chair as you made your way in. And they have our series graphic on the front of them. And I hope you got one as you came into the room this morning. If you didn't get one, just slip up your hand. Our ushers are ready to pass them out to you. If you don't have one, just want to make sure that you get one as we make our way into this message. And I want you to know right at the very beginning that this message is leading us to a very specific response. You can see that Peter says in verse 7, casting all of your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And so I want to ask you as we make our way through this message, just slip up your hand. If you don't have a card, our ushers will come and uh, make sure that you have one. But I want to ask you to keep this card close to you for the remainder of this message because when we get to the end of this message, we're going to take some time to write down on this card the things that are making us anxious, the circumstances that are causing this fearful concern within us that the burdens of life are becoming too much for us to bear. And uh, once we write the things on this card, we're going to take a few minutes at the end of our service to pray specifically about the things that you write down on this card. And then in the, in the spirit of the Bible's instructions to cast all of our anxieties on him, I'm going to invite you, all of us together, to walk up here to the front and to lay these cards at the foot of the cross in this basket just as a physical symbol of casting our anxieties upon the Lord, giving these things to him. And uh, we're going to take these cards and lay them down at the foot of the cross because these burdens feel as though they're too much for us to bear. So as we make our way through this message, just keep this card close and be praying even now about these burdens that you need to cast upon the Lord. Uh, For some, you might already know what it is, and it's a no-brainer for you. You've been carrying this around for a long time. It's making you anxious. It's making you anxious again, even just thinking about it right now. And it's time for you to cast that upon the Lord. It's time for you to cast that upon the Lord again. And so when you come up here a little bit later with this card in your hand and what you've written on the back and you put it in this basket at the foot of the cross, again, just as a physical symbol of casting our anxiety on him, when you come up here, you don't need to say anything, you don't need to do anything. We're just using this as a physical symbol of casting our anxieties upon the Lord. The good news is that 1 Peter 5 tells us how to do that. And in fact, the clear message of these few verses is simply this. Humility is the remedy for anxiety. Humility is the remedy for anxiety. So notice here in these few verses, Peter gives three instructions for us to follow. And you'll see here that Peter gives one specific reason why each of those instructions matters so much in our attack on anxiety. And so I want to give you each of these instructions along with the reason that Peter gives about why we need to obey God's word in this way. So let's start here. Three instructions. Here's number one. Be humble toward one another. Be humble toward one another. Now, Peter is writing his final words in this letter to these Christians. You can see at the end of chapter 5 that the letter is over. And this final section here in chapter 5 describes a life that is purposely pursuing Jesus Christ. All through this letter, Peter has strongly encouraged these Christians to look to the example of Christ for everything in a world that looks to the example of Christ for nothing. And so as you can imagine, that's a recipe for anxiety. 
Like that's all the ingredients right there for suffering and for persecution and for difficulty within their lives. And in the midst of all of that, Peter says, look to Jesus. Look to his example. And so he says in verse 5, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. So notice this first, that this command is for all of you. He says, clothe yourselves, all of you. This command is for everyone. And so Peter talks through this letter to a number of different groups of people within the church, among the Christians. He, he talks to the young, and he talks to husbands, and he talks to wives. He even talks to elders within the church and the nature of their leadership among the church. But now he gets to this section, and he says, regardless of your age... Regardless of your position within the church, regardless of your social standing in life, you need to understand that this command here is for all of you. It's for everyone. And so he says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. This is actually the only time in all of the New Testament that this phrase, clothe yourselves, is used. This is the only place that we see it. And the word picture that we get here is of a servant putting on a work apron and preparing themselves to serve other people. So keep it in mind, try and think of it. When he says, clothe yourselves, all of you with humility, the idea is of a servant putting on a work apron and preparing themselves to serve other people around them. So part of what Peter is saying here, he's saying that it's the responsibility of every Christian the responsibility of everyone in the church to put on the apron of humility every day and in every circumstance. The phrase literally means to tie something onto yourself. It means to, to make this an essential part of who you are. And so he says, clothe yourselves with humility. Put on the apron of humility. And he says, keep doing this so that this becomes an essential part of who you are. I think there's little question that uh, when Peter wrote this, he was thinking of that evening when uh, he was sitting around a table with all of the other disciples and Jesus was there as well. And it's what we uh, commonly refer to as the Last Supper. And you remember at one point Jesus gets up and he picks up a towel and a basin of water and he begins to wash everyone's feet. So Peter very likely has this in mind. He's looking back on that moment when he writes, clothe yourselves. Put on the apron of humility. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. And why is it so important that we do that? Because that's what Jesus did. Because that's who Jesus is. This kind of humility is an unmistakable part of who Jesus is. Now, notice how this relates to us. One commentator said it really well. He said, humility is not just the absence of pride. And humility is not just thinking less of yourself. It is those things, it includes those things, but it's not limited to those things. He said also, humility is the willing reception of grace. Humility is the willing reception of grace. So, the person who puts on the apron of humility every day and for every circumstance is the person who says, I can't do this by myself. 
person who puts on the apron of humility is the person who says, I don't have what it takes to figure this out. The person who puts on the apron of humility is the one who says, I need help to get through what I'm going through. But notice what Peter says next. He says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. So on the one hand, the person who puts on the apron of humility is saying, I am putting myself in a position to help those around me who are in need. That's part of it. But on the other hand, the person who puts on the apron of humility is also saying, I don't want to give the impression that I've got my life all figured out because I really don't. Therefore, just like I am putting myself out there to help other people, I need to be helped too. Humility is the willing reception of grace. So here's the first reason why this matters, the first reason that Peter gives. He says at the end of verse 5, For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So you can jot this down. Here's our complete thought. Be humble toward one another because God cares about your heart. He cares about your heart. Like this is an issue of our heart. See, the refusal to put on the apron of humility, the refusal to put yourself out there to help other people, but also to be helped by other people, is a symptom of pride in our heart. And part of what Peter is saying is that how we respond to one another within the context of this community of faith reveals the condition of our hearts before God. This is a big deal. You can't miss this because he says here, God opposes the proud. In other words, God frustrates the plans of the person who purposely does not do what God says to do. God purposely frustrates the plans of that person, but at the same time, God gives grace. He gives favor to those who don't deserve it and they have done nothing to earn it. He gives grace to the person who purposely lives in total dependence upon his grace and mercy within their lives. Listen, the Bible is so clear about this. We see it over and over again. God hates pride in our hearts. He does, and that's the word the Bible uses. He hates pride pride in our hearts. Why? Because pride led to the fall of humanity. Because pride is the root of every sin within our lives. Because pride robs glory from God and steals our hearts from Him. God hates pride. You got to understand that Peter's not saying anything new here. Like, It's always been this way with God. In fact, the Bible says in Proverbs 8, verse 13, up on the screen, God says, The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. God hates pride. I mean, look at that. Right at the front of the list of things that God hates, pride. And its ugly cousin, arrogance. And then he lumps them into the same category as all of their messed up neighbors, the way of evil and perverted speech. Like the lies and the half lies and the half truths and the crude joking and God hates it. Which should make us appreciate the reality all the more that he gives his grace to those who refuse pride and embrace humility. So Peter says, clothe yourselves 
all of you with humility toward one another. So again, notice this. He's talking to all of us. He's talking to you. He's talking to me. He's talking to everybody in this room right now. He's talking to the church. He's talking to the Christians, the community of believers. And he's leading us to this destination in verse 7 about what to do with our anxieties. So when we become a church where all of us puts on the apron of humility... When we become a church where all of us are putting ourselves out there, not just to help other people, but also to be helped by other people because we see that, then part of the way that we receive God's grace in our anxieties is through the body of Christ. It's within the church family. Which means then that we need to be a church where it is both safe and normal to acknowledge, I don't have it all figured out. Like, I need help. I can't do this by myself. Like, this needs to be a place where it is both safe and normal to acknowledge that I daily stand in desperate need of my Savior, Jesus Christ. And we're all saying that. I'm saying that. You're saying, everybody's saying that. Like, it needs to be a place where it is safe and normal to acknowledge that just as much as I put myself out there to help other people, I too need to be helped. I need the body of Christ to help me through what I'm going through. And when you do that, it becomes a reflection of a humble heart before God and before one another, and that is the heart that God promises to bless with an abundance of his grace. See, that, friends, that's why it's so important for you to be a part of a small group. That's why it's so important for you to be plugged in with other believers who are walking with you weekly, walking with you daily, and walking beside you and pointing you to Christ. It's why it's so important for you to be a part of men's ministry or women's ministry or to have your kids in youth ministry or in Harvest Kids or, or for you to be coming to church every weekend like we are right now or to be coming to prayer meetings when we gather because those are some of the primary vehicles through which God's power flows to give us the grace that we need. We need to understand you can't handle your anxiety alone. You can't handle your fear and your worry alone. You can't fix your problems by yourself. And when you think you can, That is the cold, dark reflection of a heart that is filled with pride. You need the body of Christ. Hear this. God's grace is for the one who knows that they need God's grace. That's it. It really is that simple. God's grace is for the one who knows that they need God's grace. God's grace is for the one who realizes that their primary need in the midst of their overwhelming anxiety is not a weighted blanket. Like, God's grace is for the one who realizes in the midst of their anxiety that their primary need is not not another app on their phone that's just going to make them more anxious about all the anxieties that they already have. God's grace is for the one who realizes that their primary need is God's grace. And that is an issue of the heart. Like, just think about what Peter's saying here. He's saying, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So think, God opposes the proud. That literally means God holds up his hand against the proud person who is not living their life in the way that God wants them to live their life. God is purposely, intentionally frustrating their plans, holding up his hand against that person. But for the person who lives a life of humility... God is not going to hold up his hand against that person. He is going to hold up his hand for that person. Like over here, 
pride-filled life. God's going to hold up his hand against you. Over here, humility-filled life. God's going to hold out his hand for you. And when he holds out his hand for you, he's going to pour out grace upon grace upon grace upon grace for every single need and every single circumstance within your life. And that's why it matters so much. We cannot get through this without God's grace. Which leads us right to our next point. Be humble under God. So our first point, be humble toward one another. Point number two, be humble under God. Verse six, Peter says, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God. Notice here in verse six, Peter says therefore. He's connecting this thought back to verse five where he's just made this foundational statement upon which the rest of it stands. He says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So because that's true, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Notice this, verse 5, Peter says to clothe yourselves. Now in verse 6, he says, humble yourselves. These are things that we are to do for ourselves, things that we are to do to ourselves. And he tells us here the specific destination of genuine humility. He says that genuine humility will lead us to the place where we are under the mighty hand of God of God. You want to know if you have humility in your life? You want to know if you're living the humble life according to God? It's going to lead you to that place where you are living your life under the mighty hand of God, where you are living your life in surrender to him. You are surrendering your will for your circumstances to his will for your circumstances. You are living under the mighty hand of God. That's an Old Testament way of describing God's strength and control It's a declaration of the unstoppable power of God. Isaiah 48 verse 13 says it so well. Listen to this. God says to his people, My hand laid the foundation of the earth, and my right hand spread out the heavens. When I call to them, they stand forth together. Like, that's pretty awesome, right? Like, that's what God has done by his mighty hand. And and God says that to his people who were stubbornly refusing to follow him. And he tells them that he loves them so much that he's not going to leave them at the mercy of their enemies, that it's going to be his mighty hand that will deliver them. Think about this. This is the mighty hand of God that created the heavens and the earth in six days and rested on the seventh. This is the mighty hand of God that parted the waters of the Red Sea so the people could cross over and the enemy would be swallowed up. This is the mighty hand of God that delivered his people to the promised land that he guaranteed to give them. This is the mighty hand of God that sent his son into the world at exactly the right time to be born of a virgin. This is the mighty hand of God who calmed a raging sea, healed the sick, made the lame to walk and the blind to see. This is the mighty hand of God that fed thousands of people with five loaves of bread and two fish. This is the mighty hand of God that on the third day raised the crucified Savior from the dead. This is the mighty hand of God that breathes new life into you and me by the power of his Holy Spirit. This is the mighty hand of God that is building his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. This is the mighty hand of God that is causing his gospel to go forth into all the nations and saving people for the glory of his name. This is the mighty hand of God that is one day coming again to judge the living and the dead and by the power of his mighty hand, he will cast Satan and all of his demons into an 
eternal lake of fire. This is the mighty hand of God that will eradicate sin and death. And we will gather around his throne to sing the holiness and the glory of his name. And we will rule and reign with him forevermore. This is the mighty hand of our God. And so, so when you understand that this is the mighty hand of God then you will understand that there is no safer place to be than under that mighty hand. Notice, notice here, he does not say, humble yourself beside God's mighty hand. In other words, God, I'll do some, you do some, we'll do like a tag team project. He doesn't say that. Notice, he doesn't say, humble yourself over God's mighty hand. He doesn't say that either, as in, God, I got this, I'll take care of this, and when I need you, I'll call you, and, and I got you on speed dial, I know how to get in touch with you. He doesn't say that either. He says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. In other words, you know that it's true humility when you realize that God is in total control of whatever it is that is making you so anxious. Whatever it is that's causing you so much fear, God is in total control. And if the mighty hand of God can do all of those things that we just talked about and so much more, then he can do anything with the problem or the circumstance that is causing you so much anxiety. Now here's the reason why we do this. The end of verse six. He says, so that at the proper time, he may exalt you. So here's the second half of this point. Be humble under God because he cares about your circumstance. He cares about your circumstance. Notice this. Peter says, at the proper time. I love that. I love that so much. Those words matter so much. Why? Because it tells us that there's an expiry date on our anxiety. There's there's an expiry date on that circumstance that is causing us so much fear. There is a time that has been predetermined by God where by his grace the darkness will lift. And what makes it the proper time is that it's God's time. Don't miss this. God allows us to walk through these dark valleys, not just so that he can work for us, but so that he can work in us. Like, Don't waste your anxiety away by, by wishing it all away. Like, of course, we don't want the circumstances that are making us so anxious. We don't want those emotions and those feelings that are causing us so much fear and so much worry. Of course, we don't want that. But instead, the Bible's saying here that in the midst of that, and we're going to keep experiencing that because we live in a broken, sinful world that causes us to feel these ways sometimes. And he says, when those things happen, take those things, take that anxiety, take your difficult circumstance, and humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. You know what that looks like? It looks like a prayer that says, God, only you can make the darkness lift. But it also looks like a prayer that says, God, what are you trying to teach me in this? Like, God, what are you doing right now? And how are you using this in a way that you want me to become more like Jesus in this? God, until your proper time comes, Help me to trust in you for everything that I need. You know, one of the biggest evidences of pride in our hearts is our impatience with God's timing. God, why is this still happening? God, why is this still going on? God, when is this ever going to be over? It's not that we can't ask our questions of God. We can. 
But when those questions become the all-consuming motivation of our hearts and, and as if that's going to be the freedom that we experience when we finally get released from that, notice this. He says, at the proper time, he will exalt you. That literally means he will lift you up. The darkness will lift. And it will lift for those who humble themselves under the mighty hand of God. Isaiah 66 says this, one of my favorite passages. It says, thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you should build for me and what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. Here's my favorite part. It says, but this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. He was humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. That is the one to whom God will look. I have a note under, uh, in my Bible underneath that passage. And, and it just says, Wednesday, October 25th, 2017. Daddy, I'm sorry. Awesome. Thank you, God. Just that little note right there to remind me of that passage. I remember Wednesday, October 25th, 2017 really well. Stacy and I had um, been praying for our kids for a long time as, as we uh, always have and I know that many of you pray for your kids in the same way and we were having a, a particularly challenging time with one of our kids especially and, and for a while leading up to that we were trying different things. We were trying to make our way through this, trying to figure out what was going on and we were trying to speak the gospel into their life and into the circumstance and, and it just felt like we were going through a stretch where it, it seemed like nothing was sticking and then Wednesday, October 25th came and things happened on that day and, and it just felt in that moment like just everything exploded. Like right in our face, just everything blew up and that was a time where um, I think I probably had never felt like more of a failure as a parent than I did in that moment. And so after we dealt with the particular situation that had caused it on that day, I walked into our bedroom, I sat down on the side of the bed, I opened up my Bible and you know how you go through those times in your life where God has you in a certain passage over and over again and like you could be going through circumstances completely unrelated and yet somehow God brings you back to that very same passage and speaks truth into that. I don't know if you've experienced that. It's happened to me. And, and Isaiah 66 was that particular passage at that time. And, and so I'm in the bedroom, uh, sitting on the side of the bed. I had no idea what to do. I open up to this passage in Isaiah 66 and start reading and, and then read again verse 2 and um, look to him who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. And, and I start praying that verse back to the Lord. Like, just praying, Lord, please help. And, and no kidding. What I'm about to tell you is true before the living God. I'm sitting on the side of the bed with my Bible open getting ready to pray that verse. And I didn't even get the first sentence of my prayer out of my mouth. And all of a sudden, the child that we're having such a hard time with rushes into the room and, and sits down beside me, tears streaming down their face, crying profusely, apologizing like they had never apologized before. They come and they sit down on, on the side of the bed right beside me and they're like, Daddy, I'm sorry, Daddy, I'm sorry, Daddy, I'm sorry. It was wrong because, and here's what I'll do the next time, and will you please forgive me, will you please forgive me, will you please forgive me? And I'm telling you, I am sitting there in that moment and my jaw has like hit the floor. Like, 
I barely got the first sentence of that prayer out of my mouth and there running into the room and sitting on the bed beside me is the answer that I was about to ask God for. And so I'm sitting there and I'm like, what in the world's going on here? And, and he's sitting there beside me and, and I'm, I'm like, yes, yes, of course I forgive you. Of course, a thousand million times, of course I forgive you. And we prayed together and, and then said, listen, we need to talk about what's happened here and what went wrong and how we need to handle this moving forward and speaking the, the gospel into that situation and the power of Christ into their life in that moment and, and so many fruitful conversations coming out of that. Now, does it always happen like that at our house? No. But I really wish it did. Does it always happen that quick? No. But that's kind of the point. It's not for us to wish away our anxieties and in the midst of wishing them away, completely miss what God is trying to teach us in that moment. Instead, in the midst of those anxieties and those worries and those fears, no matter what they may be, to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time, he will exalt you. He will lift you up out of the darkness. Listen, I I tell you that story simply to remind you that our God listens And our God hears us as we pray. And our God delights to give us what we need. Listen, why do we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt us? Why do we do that? Because that's what Jesus did. That's what Jesus did. You might remember he's in the Garden of Gethsemane and and he's praying and he's pleading with the Father if there's any other way for the cup to pass from him. Any other way for the cup of God's judgment and wrath against the sins of humanity to pass from Jesus, let it happen, but then Jesus prays, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. He humbles himself under the mighty hand of God. He humbles himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. And then three days later, by the power of God, he is exalted. He is raised from the dead to prove that he alone has power over sin and death forever. And then he is exalted in his ascension where he goes to heaven. And right now, he sits at the right hand of the Father for you and for me, interceding for us. And he will be exalted yet again when he comes in power and glory and in might to judge the living and the dead. And he will rule and reign for all of eternity and we will gather around his throne once again and sing the praises of his name and he will be exalted forever. So why do we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt us? We do it because that's what Jesus did for us. Listen, the mighty hand of God that allows you to suffer is the same mighty hand that will one day lift you up. Which is why we can do this next. Number three, cast all your anxieties on him. That's what verse seven tells us to do. Notice this, the main command here in this section is not to cast all your anxieties on him. 
That's not the main command. The main command here is what we just looked at in verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. And Peter says that the way that you know that you have humbled yourself under God's mighty hand is that you are casting all your anxieties on him. Like all of your anxieties. You're not giving some to God and holding on to others for yourself. Partial humility is no humility at all. The way that you know that you have humbled yourself before God is that you have cast all of your anxieties on him. It's a pretty powerful picture, isn't it? Casting all of your anxieties on him. I have never been a good fisherman. Mostly because I could never figure out how to properly cast my line into the water. And the reality is if you can't figure that out, you're not a fisherman. So, but I wanted to learn. And so I, I read about it and I thought about it and I strategized about it until the next time I would go out fishing. And, but I could never get the timing right because I would bring my rod back and then, then I would just lean into it and, and try and cast it out. But my problem was I could never figure out when exactly to press that little button on the, on the end of your rod, you know, when, when you're supposed to shoot the line out into the water, just like the pros do it, like they get it like 50 feet out in front of them. I would do that and it would drop like three feet in front of me. And like, that's not going to be a good fishing day. My favorite fishing story of all time. So Stacy's brother was getting ready to go fishing with her dad. And they're practicing in the backyard. Her dad is teaching her brother how to cast the line. And so they're practicing in the backyard before they go out onto the water. And Stacy's brother's a little bit like me. He's like leaning back and then leaning into it and just giving it and trying to get it as far as it could possibly go. Apparently, Stacy's dad was standing just a little bit too close to her brother when he was doing that, and the hook on the end of the line caught right into his ear. Like just a level of pain that I can't even begin to imagine, right? Brings totally new meaning to being fishers of men, right? <laughs> but that's a little bit of the idea, right? Is that you, you take what's making you so anxious, you take whatever it is that's causing you to curl up in fear, You take that and you grab it and you lean into it and you cast it upon the Lord. You give it to him. God, this news about my sister has totally rattled me, so I cast it upon you. And God, I don't know how I'm going to get along without that person in my life and the loneliness and the grief that I feel. So God, I'm taking this anxiety and I'm casting it upon you. God, I don't know how this future is going to go and I'm worried about the decisions and there's so much uncertainty right now. It's just making me so anxious and so I take this anxiety and I cast it upon you. David talked about the very same thing. He said in Psalm 55, which he wrote to describe the anxiety that he felt when a friend betrayed him. Someone close has turned his back on David and David writes Psalm 55 as a response to that. He says this in verse 22. It says, cast your burden on the Lord. Same idea, same word picture. Take whatever it is that's making you so anxious, take that burden and just cast it upon the Lord. And David says, and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. Listen, God wants your burdens God wants your anxieties. Why? Because he can deal with them in a much better way than you and I ever could. 
And when you give those things to him, you are opening the door for the power of his sustaining grace within your life. Listen, friends, the solution is not found in just trying to stop being afraid. The solution is not to just try and stop being worried. The solution is not just to try and stop being anxious because when you get rid of that, it's going to be replaced by something else. The solution in the midst of those worries, in the midst of those fears and those anxieties is to take those things and to cast them upon the Lord. Cast all of your anxieties on him. Trust in him who died for you to free you from the fear that shackles you and from the anxiety that consumes you. Why? Because he cares for you. One final reason. Cast all your anxieties on him because God cares for you. Yes, he cares about your circumstance. Yes, he cares about how hard it is. Yes, he cares about the worry that fills your heart. But he also cares about you.